This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our show, uh, Spirit Matters Talk, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, back on the show, Yogacharya O'Brien. Ellen Grace O'Brien is an award-winning poet, author, radio show host, and spiritual teacher who makes the ancient wisdom of Kriya Yoga accessible to the modern mind. And what we'll focus on today is her new book, The Jewel of Abundance, Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga, and a foreword uh, by Philip Goldberg in that book, our own <laughs> Philip Goldberg, that is. Uh, and so, uh, I'm outed. So- there you go. <laughs> Ellen, thank you so very much for taking the time to come back on our show with us. Thank you, Dennis and Phil, and thanks um, to your listeners. It's a joy to be back with you. And in full disclosure, Ellen is a dear friend of mine, and she and her uh, husband uh, both are dear friends of mine, and he and I went to the same high school. And oh. I had the honor of writing the foreword to her new book, The Jewel of Abundance, none of which will stop us from asking her tough questions. Of course. <laughs> and it is a wonderful forward, um, by the way. It is, mm-hmm. um, you know, including your wonderful research that you've done in your writing about yoga in the West. So thanks for doing that, Phil. I will still ask tough questions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> I will. Great to Go have ahead, you yeah. with us, Ellen. Um, let's begin. Uh, this is a, your second time with us. So um, people, if they want to know you uh better can can listen to the first interview um here we want to focus on your new book but tell us first um how the book came to be what you've been teaching for a long time you run the center for spiritual enlightenment in san jose you're a part of the uh, yogananda lineage and um you decided to write a book about prosperity mm. in yogic terms. What what led to that decision? It's such a good question. I've asked myself. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But I did have several reasons. And one of the primary reasons um, is that, um, of course, the book is about the four goals, the four Vedic aims of life. And people are most familiar with Dharma, you know, to live a life of higher purpose. And I, I have found with students over the years that, you know, people are really ready to dive into Dharma and they're really interested in that. Um, but they kind of, you know, hit the wall when it comes to Arta which is wealth, and, you know, how do you do that? You know, how do you live a spiritual life of higher purpose and still pay the bills? So I became really interested in it um, because of that, because I could see the need. And um, another reason is that in the tradition that I'm in, Paramahansa Yogananda was not shy about teaching people, you know, how to draw forth the resources they need to do the work that they have to do in the world. And he himself, of course, uh, demonstrated it. And then the other reason is that I, I, um, I would like to see these principles widely used. In other words, spiritual principles having to do with wealth. So ideally, um, we could be part of the solution for some of the great disparity that exists in our world today around wealth and resources. 
So small aims, right? <laughs> right. Let, let, let me ask you a follow-up on that. Uh, when you say uh, it, it's a way to deal with the disparity, uh, sometimes the creation of wealth is the cause of disparity because uh, those that are gaining wealth are uh, maybe the few. Uh, it can be for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. You could say unfairness and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. So, so uh, it, please address that. And, and also along those lines, when we hear sort of the yoga, when people hear the yoga of prosperity, oftentimes they think of um, different evangelical preachers out there who uh, mm -hmm. seem to equate, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they go in a direction that I, I just want to clarify mm -hmm. that. I think you know uh, where I'm headed mm -hmm. with that question. Exactly. So the first question about, well, what about, you know, wealth in terms of disparity? There's some people have no problem uh, with wealth at all. Um, and that's part of the problem, you know, this, this imbalance that we have in our world. Um, but that's because wealth is not seen through the lens of dharma, the other goals of life, dharma, uh, a higher purpose, and our connection to all the rest of life, and, and even um, pleasure, what brings happiness, and of course, ultimately, uh, moksha, or, or liberation. So that imbalance in wealth is, is wealth out of balance with the other life goals. Um, and then with regard to the prosperity gospel that we see in some um, televangelists, um, I, that's one of the reasons why it was really um, courageous, you know, to write a book on prosperity um, because I, I really, of course, didn't want people to mistake this book for that, um, which it's not. Um, it's really about living with higher purpose and understanding that wealth in this context is meant to be constrained and directed um, by the other life goals, and in particular, dharma, uh, living with a higher purpose. Very good. Uh, one of the things uh, that stood out for me when I read the manuscript uh, to write the foreword was that the context in which you're describing prosperity and abundance is uh, not separate from and indeed is integrated into what you might call spiritual prosperity or abundance um, and the interaction between the inner and outer uh, in our lives. Can you speak to that? Uh, that, that seemed to be a high priority in, in your um, approach to the book. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, I feel like, you know, one of the problems is this dividing up the spiritual and the material, right? You know, that, that leads, that's, a, that's an ego-based assumption, and it, it leads to so many of the problems that we have, you know, problems that we have of, of seeing, you know, the earth as material resources and not connecting it to um, the spirituality. And... And so, you know, in the Vedic teachings, it, it is there is one life, and it is expressing as all that is. And so, you know, wealth is not just something material. It actually is spiritual because everything is spiritual. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask, uh, uh, in, in your book, you talk about the importance of not only being centered, but maintaining that, that centeredness. And uh, you, you, you quote uh, 
Yogananda as saying environment is stronger than willpower. Can you elaborate on that? I'm, I'm not sure I completely understand what's meant by that. Mm. It, it, it's about uh, arranging conditions in our life to the best of our ability to support our higher intentions. In, in other words, you know, when we embark on a path of spiritually conscious living, um, then, then we want to um, cultivate those environments that are conducive to that. So, you know, at, at its foundation, the yoga sadhana, yoga practice is really about that. It's about arranging conditions that, that allow our innate um, wisdom uh, to surface. Um, so does that answer your question? Do you want me to say more yeah, about Yeah, and, and maybe I could just uh, uh, take it a step further. I believe toward the end of his life on this planet, uh, Yogananda spoke about creating spirit communities so that uh, mm -hmm. their the priority could be given. People would still be working in the world. They weren't monks or nuns necessarily, but uh, they would be, uh, uh, they would support each other in their spiritual pursuits. Uh, how important is that? And is that something that you uh, in any way encourage uh, 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 to, to, to happen, as he discussed? I think it's really helpful to have a spiritual satsang or spiritual community where you can be with others who are sharing the same um, goals and practices that, that you are. Um, I think whether people live in intentional communities or not is a matter of individual preference. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think it's... Um, it uh, makes a difference one way or another. You know, whether a person... Um, lives on their own or lives in a community, you know, ultimately we all have to do, we all have to do it for ourselves, you know, right. even when, when you have a guru, the guru can't do it for you, you have to do it for yourself. But I do think it's important to have relationships, you know, uh, with ideally with a teacher, and then also with an extended community where you can, in some sense, practice together, whether, whether that's just going on retreat or whether it's being able to actually hang out in the satsang more frequently or whether it's being able to live in um, community. Um, but I think that mm, that saying about environment being stronger than willpower is simply that wherever we are, we, we want to be intentional about what we surround ourselves with so that to the best of our ability, we create environmental conditions that are uplifting and that are conducive to peace mm -hmm. and uh, not dis not disturbance, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Ellen, uh, you alluded to the um, four aims of life in the uh, yogic tradition or in what people might think of as Hinduism, uh, the, the traditional uh, four aims of life, which, which people in the West don't know a whole lot about for some reason. Um, and you mentioned that there are four of them and you, you, you mentioned what they are. Can you go into a little bit more about what the, they're called purusharthas in uh, Sanskrit and uh, elaborate a little bit on the four and how they interact? So one of the um, things that I talk about in the book is that I remember 
you know, wishing as a young person, and I've had other people say to me, you know, wouldn't it be great if life came with an instruction manual? <laughs> we, we all kind of want that at some point. Mm-hmm. And for me, these four aims of life, and of course, in the whole um, teaching uh, and practices of yoga, we certainly find an instruction manual um, to help us live more consciously. But these goals are really what I see as a um, a very profound outline for how to live. Um, and so they, of course, start with Dharma, you know, to live with, with higher purpose. And, and Dharma, of course, means law and um, it is considered the way, the way of conscious living, the way of righteous living. And our, our ethics um, come out of Dharma. Um, Dharma means... Uh, support and so it's also the way we we take our place in life um it's it's one of those words like yoga you know that has so many um profound meanings but um i think we can for this purpose just identify it as living with higher purpose in other words um finding our connection in the great cosmos and the great scheme of things and waking up as spiritual beings. So mm-hmm. uh, Dharma, and then we have Arta, which is wealth. Um, and it's really important to see those together and to see that wealth is meant to um, refer to our learning the ability to attract um, the resources that we need to fulfill living with higher purpose. And so, you know, so many people have dreams and life and goals, but that part, they don't know how to connect. So Arta is wealth, uh, learning how to attract resources. And Kama is um, pleasure and enjoying life. And, you know, it's it makes so much sense. You know, we think of them, the verse, you know, what, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? In the process, so if you if you can, you know, do the kind of work you want to do, make plenty of money, but you have a joyless life, you know, you, you of course you miss the boat. And then the ultimate aim is uh, moksha or uh, liberation of consciousness, uh, enlightenment. You know, finding ultimate freedom. And you know, the main thing is that uh, arta and kama or wealth and pleasure are constrained by dharma and moksha so that you know our aim is for uh, an awakened life of freedom i think if we start you know simply with wealth or pleasure we it, it's a hard time coming around um to the other two and of course in our western culture so many are oriented towards wealth and pleasure that the other two um, don't don't constrain them in a way that that brings ultimate freedom or happiness. Ellen, uh, speaking of uh, yoga, in the subtitle of your book, "Finding Prosperity Through the Ancient Wisdom of Yoga," many people will see that and they'll think of yoga in regard to yoga postures. Uh, and I'm assuming you mean uh, yoga in a broader sense than that. Uh, is that the case? And if so, maybe it's important to uh, I think it would be important to explain to our listeners what you mean by yoga. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's about yoga philosophy. Um, what is the philosophy that yoga has that can support us in learning about what prosperity is and you know how to bring it into our lives? And you know, we find many teachings in yoga from the fundamental teaching that, you know, 
we can learn the truth about who we are as spiritual beings, which is the ultimate source of our prosperity. You know, we learn that it's not out there, that real wealth is is um, self-knowing or self-realization. That's the source of our own happiness and fullness. But, but, but let me, let me yoga talk. gives us I, that. I, my question is, how, how, how do you define yoga? I mean, somebody well, saying that. How do I define yeah, yoga? Yes. Yeah. Well, I define yoga as the, the path of self-realization. Okay. The way of awakening to the true self. All right. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mentioned that because I mentioned that, uh, and it's very beautifully uh, defined uh, uh, because uh, so many people, when they see that, they immediately think of yoga, uh, yoga postures. And I think you even allude to it that yoga is so much associated with asanas mm-hmm. or yogic postures, mm-hmm. and so much of that is associated with just uh, kind of looking good or getting, you know, uh, physically like, like an exercise almost. Whereas when, we, uh, when you speak of yoga, it's something uh, deeper and way beyond that. It, it may include that, but it's, uh, there's so much more uh, contained uh, uh, or, or uh, reflected by that word. Absolutely. And thanks for bringing it up because it's, um, it's true. You know, we're still in a time where, you know, the majority of people practicing yoga are practicing asana. But more and more people are learning about the philosophy behind mm-hmm. it. Uh, Ellen, uh, many of the uh, teachings that have come to us uh, through the yoga tradition uh, came through uh, renunciates, monks. And uh, there's, um, in some cases, uh, a a kind of orientation toward being unattached to worldly things. And um, even a a kind of um, attitude in some circles that uh, aspiring to wealth or prosperity is a detriment to spirituality and that we should be unattached to such things. How do you reconcile those streams in in your work and in your book, and specifically with reference to attachment? Well, it is true that attachment is the problem. Um, so that's what we find in the teachings that, you know, with attachment comes suffering. Um, because everything that we become attached to is subject to change and so rooted in there is, is you know, disappointment and anger, confusion, despair when things change that we're attached to. So it's true about prosperity or wealth, you know, being attached to particular outcomes, things, positions, people, that's always a problem. But that doesn't mean that wealth itself is the problem. It means that attachment to outcomes or or things or situations um, it is a problem. Uh, Ellen, uh, in writing this book, uh, how did it affect your life? Uh, did it change your priorities or strengthen the priorities you had or uh, uh, did it develop new insights? Did, did your life go through some changes in the writing of the book? Yes, it did. You know, I had written um, 
a, a year-long program on on ARTA, an, a web-based program. People could engage in this, you know, because I've been working on this, um, you know, offering this teaching, you know, from for decades, really. So I had written a year-long course, and I thought, well, great, I'll just put this into a book. Um, but then I discovered that what I had done for the course didn't really translate into a book, that the book was something else, you know, something else wanted to come forth. I I, I don't know how else to explain that, except mm-hmm. that, you know, when I put it all together, I knew it wasn't that. Um, so, and, and that was really scary to me because I had a contract to fulfill mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I didn't have what I thought I had, but I have to say that, you know, I, I can smile now when I look at it because it was actually the teaching itself in action, which is that there's always um, a greater potential that is um, wanting to come forth um, and operate through us than what we necessarily know at any given point. So sometimes in order to really prosper, we, we have to open ourselves to that. So I actually had to follow my own program in order to write the book. <laughs> Interesting. I want to come back for a minute to the question of attachment, if it's okay with you. Um, sure. How do you advise people to uh, deal with um, or, or un- discern whether the uh, uh, zest and uh, perseverance and uh, effort that goes into the work necessary to uh, become prosperous um, separates from being too attached. How do you deal with attachment personally Mm -hmm. when you want something? (laughs) How do you know when it's attachment and not just you know, making an effort and wanting something. Well, for me, um, there is um, an exercise, I guess I would say, in faith, which is um, holding a larger context, you know, for whatever it is. And so while I do have goals and I do pursue them with vigor, um, and of course, you know, I do get disappointed and, you know, all of that, all those things still happen, but um, I've gotten better at not getting too stuck because I, I have more faith, you know, that's developed over the years in this larger context that like I, like I said about the book itself, that I, I really have seen that there is a greater good at work. Um, in my life and in everybody's life. And so part of being able to hold things a little looser is opening to what could also be greater possibility. Mm-hmm. So I guess my answer would be is, yes, I, you know, I hold on to goals, but I also hold them more loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, <laughs> I just gave a talk on Sunday that was called taking charge and letting go. Mm-hmm. So it is that, it's just that kind of um, balance, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it was like, um, 
like um, uh, Haridas Baba said, you know, um, die to win, but play for fun. Hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, Ellen, I'm curious, uh, how much time do you spend a day in uh, spiritual practice? And uh, somebody reading your book or, uh, or, or listening to this uh, interview, and uh, it arouses their curiosity about spirituality, uh, what, what, what do you recommend to them in, in, if they want to start devoting time every day to spiritual practice? So first, your, your own uh, time in spiritual practice and what you would recommend to, to people that it would be new to. Well, first I would like to say that ideally our whole day is spiritual practice. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm really about, can, let's stop dividing it up. Um, because, yes, you know, it's nice to have a formal practice, which I, I think is really what you're talking mm, about. Exactly. You know, Every time in meditation. Med- you spend, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, I, I like to have an hour a day for, mm-hmm. for practice. And, you know, that, that can vary um, more or less. But um, generally, I like to start my day that way. I like to mm-hmm. have some time for study and reflection and time for silent meditation and prayer. Like to get in an asana or two, so you know an hour isn't really very long, but it's enough um, to sort of keep me tuned up. But I really do um, feel that my day is permeated with spiritual practice, and mm-hmm. um, you know, in the book I talk about uh, the consciousness app that we all have, <laughs> which is right. this intention that you can have um, to have your awareness. Um, expand, you know, throughout your day, just, just, you know, lifting yourself up from the narrow focus on um, whatever the task is at hand into just having your heart and your mind expand um, to, you know, what we call a spiritual perspective. Ellen, um, one of the uh, striking things about modern life, it uh, seems to me, is um, not just uh, the wealth disparity we find with the, you know, extraordinarily wealthy people and um, large numbers of people who struggle, not only in America, but around the world, mm-hmm. um, which always raises for me the issue of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Do you address the whether uh, to what extent uh, a sense of personal responsibility comes with the territory of becoming prosperous yes um that's the the spoiler of the book really. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that the idea um is to become in a sense become wealth itself to become generative so that who we are and what we do with our life contributes, um, you know, beyond our own need. Um, and, and that that actually is the way that, and it is, I feel the only way that we can actually prosper, truly fully prosper is to be making a contribution to others. So, I mean, you know, that's no surprise, but mm-hmm. it's kind of fun to go through the whole labyrinth of the teachings and come out to that point. Right, right. Uh, Ellen, uh, thank you so so very much for your time today. 
Uh, Phil, any other further questions you have? And Ellen, any final point you'd like to make? But Phil? I, I would ask Ellen uh, what um, message she would like to leave with our audience. And I would also like to call our audience's attention to uh, Ellen's radio show on Unity FM. Would you like to let us know about that, Ellen? Yeah, how do, we tune, how do we tune in? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's on um, Thursday mornings at 8 o'clock um, Pacific time. 8 a.m. It's also archived, so yeah, 8 a.m. Um, Pacific and um, on Thursdays, but it's archived. So, and there are wonderful archives there, including some uh, wonderful archives with Bill Goldberg. Yes, I'm ah, honored to be your start guest. there. Yes, yeah, yeah, and other other yoga um, uh, luminaries. So, yes, please tune into the Yoga Hour, and you can um, get links to it on my website at ellengraceobrien.com, and plus see where I'm going to be in the next year with uh, retreats really on this um, topic. So my closing thought, I, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what kind of spurred me on to do this. And I was remembering the other day a question that my guru, uh, Roy Jean Davis, asked early on that totally captured my attention. He said, what would you do? You know, what would you do with your life if you knew that you had all the resources and everything that was necessary to accomplish your purposes? What would you do? What is your dream? And I found that to be such a compelling question mm -hmm. in terms of unraveling the things that we think maybe, oh, I won't do that because I can't. And uh, so this idea of how to prosper is about getting rid of those stops in the mind, you know? So what would you do? Excellent. Well, thank you so very much, Ellen, uh, for coming back on the show and uh, all the information about your retreats, <coughs> about your book, about uh, uh, everything else that you mentioned, the unity radio, we will have posted up uh, along with your, your uh, interview. Uh, Phil, I just want to thank Ellen and uh, wish her all the best in uh, launching the new book. And uh, may you prosper as right. a result of the hard work you did. Right. Keep, I would thank say keep up so the good much. work. Keep up the good work. The work you're doing, the message you have uh, are spreading is something desperately needed in our world today. So uh, we uh, absolutely encourage everything you do. Thank you both so much. And thank you for continuing on with Spirit Matters. It's a great podcast, and um, it'll be fun letting more people know about it, too. Great. So thank you so much. Thank you.